Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Next Man Up podcast. This is episode two, second week of the podcast. And, you know, we've got a lot of topics we got to cover today. So before we really get into any real topics, I just wanted to discuss quickly that Texas and Oklahoma have now accepted an offer to the SEC and will be joining in 2025. Uh, with that being said, we're going to talk about what happened last week because last week was a big week in sports. So, Jack, what do we got on tap today? Well, first off, we have the MLB trade deadline recap. The Dodgers, I was talking about this earlier. I thought that Scherzer was going to go to a big market team like either the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Padres, and he ended up landing with the Dodgers. Uh, so the Dodgers had Max Scherzer, one of the best pitchers, ERA of uh, 2.75 2. or 2.75 and a and a WIP whip of 0.89. And Trey Turner, who's a, who's a really good shortstop from the Nationals. So Nationals give up two of their best players. I guess they get some young prospects in return. But obviously Scherzer, one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, he has three Cy Youngs, like his teammate Clayton Kershaw. And he had 20 Ks in a game in 2016, 20 strikeouts. And last night he had 10 Ks, uh, 10 strikeouts when the Dodgers, and the Dodgers beat the Astros 7-5. So yeah, some big news for sure. Yeah, and going on that tangent, as a Padres fan, uh, it was kind of a roller coaster. Ken Rosenthal, uh, MLB insider, you could say, uh, tweeted Padres were close to making a deal for Max Scherzer. You know, got all of San Diego pretty hyped because guess what? That's an amazing pitcher, probably the best pitcher on the market, you know, and Padres have had some inconsistent pitching over the course of the season. Turns out that they probably weren't even close to a deal and that the nationals just pulled a fast one on the entire league by saying that and probably get a lot more value a lot more value from max scherzer than they probably would have if you know they didn't necessarily leak information that was not necessarily true um but the additions of max scherzer and Trey Turner, Trey Turner, okay, he's, you said he's a great shortstop. He's not just a great shortstop. He's a top five shortstop in baseball. And I don't know if there's anybody that's going to argue with you if you say that. Like, he is so good. He's so good. And who knows what's going to happen uh, with the Dodgers, you know? Obviously, they've got Seager. Pitch, yeah. They have They're pitching Seager. Cool, yeah. I was going to say, uh, their pitching core is just insanely good right now. Walker Bueller, obviously Urias, um, they have Kershaw, Scherzer, you know, they're just stacked. Yeah, and then obviously, I'm curious to see what happens this offseason, uh, since now they got Turner at shortstop, they also have Seager. Seager's hurt right now, but are they going to keep Seager? Are they going to let him go? What What's going to happen with Seager? Obviously, that's so far away right now. Um but I think the addition of Max Scherzer, who is a legit ace, and he's probably their number two or number three pitcher right now, it's insane. Okay, that that's 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 a chess move. That's a chess move to win a World Series. And we know the Dodgers from the past that they'll do anything they can to win a World Series. And they just made one of the, probably the biggest moves I think at a trade deadline ever. Yeah, I mean, the idea of having Scherzer, one of the best pitchers in the league, as a second or a third string guy is kind of funny to think about because the Dodgers are just so stacked. They have so much talent. It's just unreal right now. But obviously, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, another team that I think had a really good deadline, uh, personally, 
uh, was the Yankees. You know, they added Joey Gallo. Now, Joey Gallo, he's so good. So good. He's such a good defensive outfielder. I think he's probably one of the best. He could win a gold glove this year. I think he will win a gold glove. That's how good he is. And he's also a power hitter. He is one of the true three outcome guys. He either strikes out, he walks, or he hits a home run, basically. Obviously, that's not a hundred, a thousand percent or whatever. But he hits for a high power, and Yankee Stadium is perfect for him. It's perfect because it kind of has a short porch in that right field area. And as a left-handed batter, they tend to pull to that side. So with a shorter uh, wall there, a lot of his deep flyouts could be going out of the yard. So that that's a, I think that's a perfect fit for him. Um, and they also got Anthony Rizzo, who quality first baseman, one of the best first basemen in the league. Now, where I'm going to rank him in that, I'm not really sure. I just think he's such a solid first baseman, and he's a perfect guy to kind of secure the team in that space because I feel like the Yankees, one of their bigger weaknesses, they had two weaknesses going into the trade deadline. It was first baseman and uh, lefty bats, and they kind of secured the whole team because they address those issues. You know, Joey Gallo is a lefty bat. Not only is he a lefty bat, he's a really good lefty bat. And then you have Anthony Rizzo, who's a really good first baseman, and you just slot him in in first base, which, you know, they they right. they filled the holes. They filled the holes, which is what you're trying to do if you're trying to compete. And I think this makes the Yankees a playoff team. Does it make them a championship team? I'm not quite sure about that because you do have the Astros and the AL. But... This really does put them in a great situation to make a playoff push. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees definitely needed something to uh, get them going. And by adding Joey Gallo and Rizzo, I mean, they're looking better now. But obviously, um, you know, and play one playoff time comes, it's tough to worry about the Astros. Then you have the, obviously, the Dodgers and the, and the, um, and the Padres are stacked too. But we'll see, we'll see uh, how they do in the playoffs. Yeah, um, what we did see is we saw kind of a dynasty fall apart in the Cubs. You know, they had a right. pretty decent run. They won a World Series. But um, I liked what the Cubs did. The Cubs, they decided were selling and they sold. They didn't, they didn't sell some and keep others. They sold everything, which I think is kind of what you have to do. Like they traded Javi Baez to the Mets. They traded Anthony Rizzo to the Yankees. They traded Craig Kimbrell to the White Sox. Traded Chris Bryant. Earlier they traded Andrew Chafin. They got. They even traded Jake Marisnik. Like they sold off most of their team and got a lot of prospects back. Um, and who knows what they're going to do? They could trade those prospects to get other players. They could keep the prospects and wait for them to develop. But yeah. I like what the Cubs yeah. did. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Cubs are rebuilding, and obviously, it's better to just go ahead with the full rebuild, rebuild instead of uh, you know just trading one or two big stars like Chris Bryant or Baez or Rizzo. But they also got rid of Jock Peterson, who went to the Braves. Uh, so the Cubs are definitely selling, and we'll see what they do with the young prospects. But they obviously have a lot of young talent that has uh, that is promising. Yeah, and i I personally think getting rid of Javi Baez was good move um i'm not the biggest javi Baez fan um obviously he's good defensively 
but he does have a big issue with strikeouts. He strikes out a lot. He does not have the best plate vision. Um, and so he just, he's just leaves a little bit to be desired, especially this season. I think he could get it figured out, but he just, he needs to work on his vision. He can't strike out as much as he does. He needs to be able to walk more to be a top 10 shortstop. He's not a top 10 shortstop. And people may be like, what are you talking about, Jeremy? But that's just, in my opinion, the truth, because you can't strike out at that high of a clip and not get on base. You know, to be a yeah. great shortstop, you've got to have the defense and the offense, and he's just lacking on the offensive side, in my opinion. Anyway, we're going to move on to the probably the worst trade deadline team, the worst team during the trade deadline. Um, Rockies. The Colorado Rockies. What were they doing? Okay. <laughs> so they didn't trade Trevor's story. Okay. They could have gotten decent haul of prospects for Trevor's story. You know, maybe like three or four. Who knows? But they could have probably gotten a top 100 prospect for him. But instead of trading him, they're going to, pl they plan on offering him a qualifying offer in the offseason. So they receive a compensatory pick right, which is going to be one prospect, okay, from the draft, and it's not going to be some crazy high draft pick. So instead of yeah. getting a couple prospects and helping their farm system out, they didn't do that, and they're maybe going to get one. And obviously, that's horrible from them. That's just awful from them. But to not only not trade Trevor's story, but they didn't even trade like a guy like John Gray who could have gotten a decent haul because the pitching market was crazy this uh, uh, trade deadline. But they they didn't trade really anybody. They didn't get anything back, and they're just going to have some guys walk away, and they're just not going to get the value back that they could have gotten if they had traded them. It's just it's it's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Rockies aren't an insanely good team, but they could have definitely traded Trevor Story for some young prospects, like you said. And and you know, you also mentioned um, you also you know wanted to talk wanted to talk about how they didn't trade John Gray. So yeah, you, you can touch on that if you want. Yeah, so John Gray, not he's I'm not going to sit up here and say John Gray is an amazing pitcher because the truth of the matter is John Gray is he's not an amazing pitcher. But the thing is. Every tread deadline, it's kind of this whole thing of like, oh, we need pitching, we need pitching, we need pitching, right? And John Gray, he's going into contract year, if I remember correctly. He's like going to have some trade value. Is he this amazing pitcher? No. Is he somebody that you could trade for some decent players for your farm system? You know, some just even depth for your farm system. Yes. You know, because you got teams like the Padres who didn't get a pitcher and seem to be looking for a pitcher. You know, like, look how what the Twins got for Jose Barrios. Like, they got a lot for him, right? And obviously, Barrios is a much better pitcher than John Gray, but considering how much they got for him, they could have gotten a decent 
they could have gotten decent prospects back for a guy like John Gray and traded him to a team that really needs some pitching. Um, but they didn't. I don't know if they just didn't like any of the offers they were given, but at the same time, I just don't see the point in keeping him. Even if the offers weren't amazing, I feel like you at least got to get some value for him back. And they didn't. Right. Yeah, it's just... It's unbelievable. It's it. I, I would hate being a Rockies fan. I would hate it. I feel bad for them. You know, like yeah, they're in a constant I mean, so, cycle yeah. of just mediocrity, and their organization is just time and time again showing that they don't know how to run a team. Like they took so long to trade Arenado. Obviously, they ended up trading him, and they didn't get much back for him. It's 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 mind boggling how bad a the organization is run. Yeah, I mean, it's just weird that they wouldn't trade uh, Trevor Story while he's hot. You know, they could get a ton for him versus maybe in a year, year and a half, if they want to trade him then, maybe, you know, teams aren't don't really want him as much and then they might only get a couple prospects versus getting like three or four or five. So I just think it's an interesting move by the Rockies, but definitely certain franchises are making stupid moves. Yeah. I mean, look at what the... Uh... Cubs got for Javi Baez. They got a top 10 prospect in the Mets organization right. for Javi Baez. Trevor Story is a much better player than Javi Baez, um, in my opinion. And I think in most people that watch baseball's opinion, he's a better player. And the fact that they didn't trade him is just, it just doesn't Unreal. make sense. It just doesn't make sense to me at all. And to sit there and be like, oh, we didn't trade him. But guess what? We're gonna get a compensatory pick. That's that's awful. That's awful. Yeah, you're gonna get right. one prospect back instead of multiple. Yeah, it's just a stupid move by them. All right. Anyways, let's move on to talking about other teams in the MLB. So the Astros are doing pretty good now, and as you mentioned, Jeremy, they did good in free agency, and they also received reliever pitcher Graveman in a trade with the Mariners. Yeah, um, Astros. I. Th- I thought going into the trade deadline, easily the best team in the AL. I mean, up there in the AL, I had kind of them, the Red Sox, and the White Sox. Um, the White Sox got better. The uh, Red Sox, Red Sox did not have the best trade deadline. They didn't do bad. They got Schwerber, but I felt like they could have done more to really push for a World Series because I feel like they're at that top end the top tier of the AL, but the Astros, I feel like they were the top team in the AL and I could very easily see them winning. I could see them winning the world series this year. Um, obviously the Dodgers are still there in the NL, but at the same time, Astros are so good. They're so good. Getting Kendall Graveman, pretty good move. Obviously, over the course of his career, has not been the best pitcher, um, had a really good season, and so I think the Mariners trading him isn't necessarily bad. Um, what they got in return, not horrible, but it's just, it's a. I feel like maybe, just maybe they could have gotten a little bit more uh, because he was a pretty good reliever this year. He's been great. Um, and so I think he, the Astros getting him, you know, they kind of, I think their only issue really was bullpen. 
just a little bit. I think they need to improve that, and they went out and did that. So Astros are a scary, dangerous team. Dodgers are a scary, dangerous team. I mean, the Giants, the Giants improved as well. Padres Padres improved just a little bit. Red Sox improved just a little bit. Yankees improved a lot, you know, so I think those are kind of the teams you got to sit and watch out for, as well as the Brewers. The Brewers are kind of an underrated team, probably because they're a small market, Um, but they have three legitimate pitchers in that rotation. And so that's a team I think could be kind of sneaky good in the NL and could, you know, maybe give the Dodgers fits if they get that far. As of right now, we're going to have a crazy wild card, I think, because you've got, because of how the MLB works, you know, the second and third place team in the NL West are probably going to be in the wild card. As of right now, that's the Dodgers and the Padres, who are two of the best teams in the NL as it is. So that that's going to be a crazy one game. Just a crazy one game. And the Dodgers could win. The Padres could win. Who knows? But I kind of hope that it stays like that because having that, that although I would want my Padres to win, and I don't know if they necessarily could win, that that is the kind of baseball you want to see. Just two of the best teams, one game, all on the line for a chance to go further in the playoffs. That that's that's going to be a must-watch game, even if you don't like baseball that much. That's a must-watch game. Thanks. All right. So we talked about the MLB for a little bit. It's time now to go into the NBA. Obviously, the NBA. A lot yes, of sir. stuff has been going on with the NBA. We had the draft last week. We had start a free agency just a couple of days ago. So it's time to kind of get into that because teams have added some players, you know. So, Jack, yep. what are you looking at as of right now when it comes to the NBA? Well, as of right now, I'm looking at the Chicago Bulls. They have been making some interesting moves, Jeremy. So they have a new big four with Lonzo Ball, DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic. And obviously they just signed Ball and DeRozan. But I saw DeRozan going somewhere else, like the Lakers or some other team. But I think that the Bulls are definitely going to be a legitimate contender this year. And they will be a top four or five seed. But I do not see them going super far in the playoffs, maybe a second round exit. But... Obviously, the Bulls signed Alonzo Ball to a four-year, $85 million deal. Kyle Lowry goes to the Heat, three-year, $90 million deal. And there's just a lot of interesting moves. So I think the the Miami Heat, obviously, Lowry is a good addition. And they re-signed uh, Butler to a four-year, $184 million deal. And they got P.J. Tucker from the Bucks for a two-year, 15 mil contract. But I just think that overall, the Heat, they're, they're going to be okay next year. But I still think the Bucks are going to go further because they still have Drew Holiday and Middleton and Giannis. But obviously, Lonzo Ball—he's a great playmaker. He's a—he's a vers—he's a very versatile guard. But you know, the Bulls. There's just been a lot of moves, but the Bulls made made some big signings. Uh, the Bulls intrigue me, but I'm not too sure about them. Um, yeah, me too. Lonzo Ball—he, Lonzo Ball is a weird player for me because he's very good in transition. He's a good three-point shooter, but I feel like he can't 
create for himself, um, which is weird to have as like a point guard. So I right. think Veen's probably going to kind of be the facilitator on the offensive end. That's how I kind of have to see it work. Um, obviously, Lonzo can play some defense, but I feel like obviously they had to pay Lonzo a lot to be able to take him away from the Pelicans because of how you know bird rights work, how 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 the NBA is structured, basically. Um, but at the same time, that's just a lot of money to pay for a guy who isn't going to be some great scorer, some guy who's obviously going to contribute. Obviously, he's a good player. I just don't know if he's necessarily worth that contract. Yeah, I don't think he's really worth that contract. A four-year 85 mil, that's a lot of money for a guy that hasn't really proved himself in this league yet. Uh, Maybe half of that is a good deal, but 85 mil is a lot for a guy that has an inconsistent jumper and can't really create his own shot a ton, but he's definitely a very good facilitator and he can pass the ball well and defend and play make. But overall, I'm not super high on Lonzo Ball. Yeah, and then DeRozan. I like DeRozan. Um, He's definitely not the best three-point shooter, which I think in today's league, you kind of need one of your wings to be able to kind of space the floor a little bit better. Um, but he's also pretty, he's starting to get up there in age. Um, yeah, this was just not an amazing free agency class. And so I think the bulls got one of the better players, um, as a part of the free agency class, but at the same time, I don't know if DeRozan necessarily like pushes the needle from them being, you know, seed or 10th seed to the fifth. Yeah. I think obviously, I think they're a playoff team. I think they are. Um, I agree. I just don't think that they're necessarily a competitor in the East at this point in time. Obviously, I like Levine. I like Vucevic. I like DeRozan. You know, I like Lonzo, just not for the money. Uh, But I just don't necessarily know how they're going to stack up against the rest of the East. You know, because you've got a team like the Knicks. People... Outside of you know the Eastern Conference, people that didn't necessarily watch the Knicks aren't going to understand how they got so much better, you know. But they re-signed Rose, Noel, Burks, Gibson. Uh, they replaced Reggie Bullock and Alfred Payton with Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker. And obviously, Kemba Walker, his season last year, he was injured a lot of it. He wasn't necessarily as good as he has been in the past, but over the last month of the 2021 season uh he averaged 28 points five rebounds four assists made over four three-pointers a game and shot over 50 percent from the field and 43 percent from downtown so it's like he he was good towards the end of the year obviously struggled a bit in the middle of the season but Kemba walker is a good player and you're basically taking Alfred Payton, who couldn't shoot, was not really a good offensive player, and you're replacing him with a Kemba Walker, and you're taking Reggie Bullock, who was a good three-point shooter, good defender, but you're getting a guy who's a better three-point shooter, a better scorer. Um, and I think I think the Knicks took a step up, and I think I picked the Knicks over the Bulls, and I take the Knicks over a lot of the other teams in the East, that were above them last year. 
Yeah, I mean, personally, I just want to um, say that Evan Fournier is overpaid, in my opinion. Like, he's a decent role player. He's okay. But four years, $78 million, bro, that's a lot of money. Uh, and I just think that overall, the Knicks did make some good moves by re-signing their role players. Obviously, they have, like you said, Derrick Rose and Alec Burks back in, in New Orleans Noel. But I just want to say, Fournier's low-key overpaid, and he's just overpaid. And then also, I think that Kemba Walker wasn't really utilized well on the Celtics because he was more of a third option because he obviously he was um, obviously uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were on the were on that team with him, so he was kind of like an off the bench guy. But obviously he, he started sometimes. But I think that he's going to work a lot better with the Knicks because you know there's not as many uh, you know ball dominant guys like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown around him. You know. Yeah, and also. Today, they got a deal done with Julius Randle, an extension. And if I remember correctly, it's a four-year, um, $117 million deal. So, like, he is getting – they got pretty good value back. Because had they signed him after next year, he would have been a max contract player. So they s- basically signed him for less than the max. Um, it gives them a lot more contract flexibility in the future – is going to help and obviously evan fournier i was not a huge fan of the contract they gave him i'm gonna be honest like i feel like it was a bit much it was a bit much but and there's a big but they got kemba walker for eight mil so i can let that slide because they got kemba walker for a stinking good deal and they might have overpaid a little bit for fournier I think those two things kind of balance themselves out. Yeah, I mean, that's up for debate, but obviously Fournier is way overpaid. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny to think about because in the NBA, these dudes are getting millions, and we're talking about whether they're under or overpaid. But obviously, if you're getting more than a million dollars, it's a lot of money. But I just think that Kemba Walker, you know, as you mentioned, the Knicks made a good deal for him. And, I'm, and you know, I think he's going to fit well with the Knicks, but Fournier's just overpaid. But next up, uh, Jeremy. I wanted to touch on, uh, obviously, like I mentioned, the the Heat got Jimmy Butler and Tucker and uh, Lowry, but I don't think they're going to go super far. What do you think about the Miami Heat? Uh, I really like the moves that the Heat made. Um, Lowry, Lowry's a good player, and I think I think he was because he was in Toronto. You know, he didn't get as much love as he should have. Um, and obviously, he's a bit older now, but. Here's the thing, right? You look at the Lakers. The Lakers added a bunch, a bunch of older players, and like, I don't like think 32, it's yeah, yeah. I, I don't think 30, it's 30, 32 years old is like their average player, but you can go on. Yeah, so I don't think adding an older guy who was proven in the past that he was good is a bad thing, you know. Um, and he's still such a valuable player. He's still so good. Um, right. and I think he fits in well with jimmy butler and kind of the team because he can shoot a little bit you know he 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 just adds a lot of value he's not going to be a guy that's necessarily going to demand the ball who's going to need his shots he's not you know he's not one of those players he's not going to drop 40 a night he's not like a superstar anymore but obviously he's still a very good player yeah he was never a superstar you know and he's not a superstar um, but he's such a good player. Like there was a reason why a lot of teams were interested in him is because he 
he can fit in on a lot of teams because he's just kind of one of those players that just works and he's super good. And obviously PJ Tucker, PJ Tucker's PJ Tucker. He's just, he's just kind of a journeyman. He's just kind of a guy who plays his role. You know, he's not a flashy player. Uh, He doesn't move the needle much, but he's not a negative player. He's a positive player um, to any organization. And, you know, I feel like the Heat, I felt like they kind of had a fluky season when they made the championship. I just felt like that was kind of a fluky season in general because of the bubble and all the other stuff going on. It just like it just didn't feel right. But I feel like these are good additions to maybe actually kind of compete for the Eastern Conference. And I feel like in the past, you know, there's always kind of like LeBron was pretty much in the East for a long time. And a lot of teams didn't really try to push to try to win the East because they kind of knew that they didn't really have a chance. But this offseason, I feel like a lot of teams in the East are pushing because I think they don't see the Bucks as a super team or one of those teams that is like kind of untouchable at the top. I think they feel like they're like, oh, they won with Giannis and a couple of role players kind of a thing. So I think yeah. they're thinking, oh, we can kind of build that too and have a competitive team. And so I think the East is going to be super interesting this season, you know, because Definitely. I feel like there's a lot of teams who really elevated uh, the roster to try to compete uh, for an Eastern Conference Finals, for a championship. And I think there's going to be a high-level competition right there at the top. And so I'm interested to see how that plays out. Obviously, the West is a bit different. Um, West is kind of just... I don't know what to think about the West. Like the West is like the West is all over the place because you have the Lakers, and then LeBron is saying, "Oh, everyone's doubting us." But at the end of the day, like I just don't think that if you get three stars together, they're not always going to click. You know, like just because the Lakers got Russell Westbrook doesn't mean they're automatically going to make the finals. Everyone's like, "Oh yeah, Lakers Nets finals." Honestly, it could be it could be the Warriors and the Bucks. It could be the Warriors and the Heat. I'm just saying. I don't think that Westbrook and LeBron are going to work well together because they're both ball-dominant players. Westbrook shoots the ball a lot, not not a super-efficient scorer or shooter, but I do think that the Lakers need shooting still. I mean, they got what? Who did they get? They got um, Kent Bazemore, and they got um, Wayne Ellington and a few other guys, but I just think we have to wait to see what happens because obviously the – you know, Mavs are still trying to get Kawhi Leonard. The Blazers are still trying to trade CJ. The Warriors might trade to get another star, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, the Lakers did get my boy Carmelo. They got my boy Carmelo. They got Carmelo. And here's the thing. Carmelo is like a, he's a good player. He is an amazing player to have because like, obviously he's older, so he doesn't require as much money. He can still score. Because he he is a masterful scorer. He's a masterful scorer. He is just if you watch him on offense, he obviously you watch Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is just Kevin Durant's an amazing scorer. It's a pure scorer. Yeah, but you watch Melo. Melo is much more methodical with his approach on offense because obviously he's not as physically gifted as Kevin Durant. 
Um, yeah, Melo's more of like a mid-range kind of guy. He'll post you up, but I think that Kevin Durant's a better three-point shooter than Melo, obviously. But, I, you know, I, I don't hate the Melo to L.A. move. I mean, I saw it coming because Carmelo Anthony and LeBron are close friends, and they played against each other in high school. And, and uh, when they were rookies, obviously, same draft class in 2003. But I just think it's kind of funny because the Lakers have all these old guys, and I don't know if they're going to click together, but we'll see. I think, obviously, they have some some serious talent, but... Um, they still have Taylor Horton Tucker and they let go of, not only did they let go of, um, Caldwell Pope and Kuzma, but they got rid of, uh, of, uh, Alex Caruso who went to the Bulls, but we'll see how the Lakers do, but I'm very interested to see how, see how LeBron and Westbrook work together. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I personally think, I think they can work out. I think, I just don't know if necessarily that they're going to win anything because you know obviously you saw a team like brooklyn last year they obviously you can be like oh Kyrie was injured james harden was injured blah 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 but at the same time just because you get a really good team doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be a team that's also good um like the warriors when they won their first championship they had some stars but they had so, they were deep and I think I'd value a deep team over a star-studded team because when yeah. those stars come out of the game, who's going to put up the points when they're out? And I think in yeah. a seven-game series, you know, the depth has a tiny bit more value than stars. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. As I mentioned on the last pod, last episode – Obviously, I think that super teams are overrated, and just because you get three stars together, two or three stars together, it doesn't mean you're obviously you're you're automatically gonna win a ring. And when you put Russell Westbrook on the Lakers with LeBron and AD, you know obviously they could find a way to make it work. But I just think that since Westbrook is such a ball dominant guy and he likes shooting and he's not a good shooter, I don't see it working because him and LeBron on the same team, it just I don't think they're gonna click. But obviously, the Nets when um, Kyrie went down. Their role players didn't step up because they don't really have good role players. And they have a few, but I'm just saying overall, they don't have a lot of depth. And they don't have a, a good center. So when you think about, when you take that into consideration, the Bucks having Giannis, one main star, and then Drew Holiday and Middleton, who's Middleton is very inconsistent as your sidekicks, you know, those guys are very good. And I think that when you have a deep team that can defend well, it's a lot better than a super team that has three big stars that doesn't have a good supporting cast, you know, because when you don't have a deep team and you don't have good defense or chemistry, you're usually not going to make it that far. And I'm interested to see who wins the East next year, but I have more faith in the Bucks than I do with the Nets or, you know, other teams like the Lakers, because I think that the Warriors could go further than the Lakers if we put it into consideration when talking about the team chemistry and how deep each team is. All righty. Let's get a bit into the NBA draft, which happened last week. Obviously, we're talking about teams that we think can compete for the NBA championship. And now I think we're going to kind of divulge into teams that, you know, aren't really competing so far and kind of look at, you know, the draft just a little bit. Obviously, Kate Cunningham went number one. Jalen Green went number two, just like everybody thought, you know. So, you know, I'm wanting to hear some of your thoughts on some of the players that were drafted. Well, I think that obviously Cade Cunningham is a beast, and I think that he's going to do well in Detroit, but there's not a ton of talent around him. He has Jeremy Grant, and 
what, Sadiq Bey and a few other guys. But I do think that Davian Mitchell will be a star in the league, and the Kings are in a really interesting situation, you know. Davian Mitchell from, from uh, Baylor went number nine overall to the Kings, and the Kings keep getting steals of the draft, in my opinion. They selected Terry Halliburton with a 12th overall pick last year's draft, and he, he you know, um, ended up being a top three, top four player in, in that class. And the Kings have a good young core, and they have a lot of guard talent. So they have De'Aaron Fox now, Tyrese Halliburton, and Davian Mitchell. And Davian Mitchell was doing really good in summer league recently, and I think that he's going to be a star. He's a good shooter, and he can defend. He's versatile. And I also like – well, actually, you can just talk about what do you think about the Kings and Davian Mitchell? Uh, obviously I'm a, I'm big into college basketball. Like I'm huge into college basketball and anybody that watched college basketball knew Baylor had the three best guards since, uh, Williams head and, Oh, what's his name? Oh God. I can't remember his name, but they were the mid two thousands, uh, Illinois basketball team. You know, obviously that was a great collection of guards and Baylor had an amazing collection of guards as well. Uh, obviously, Mitchell was there. You know, they had Teague. Um, and so those three guys were good in college. And one of the things that I've always had an issue with when it comes to the NBA draft is you see guys get drafted who weren't necessarily that good in college, but because they have potential and because they're raw and that they have good size and they have good, like, things that you can't necessarily teach you know which is just size and body you know and then you see guys who were really good in college who might not necessarily fit the exact build you know when it comes to size when it comes to who knows honestly and they drop in the draft and then they play really well and then people are confused like a guy like that i think of is you know dylan brooks obviously played at oregon so i'm a bit biased but you know he was a Pac-12 player of the year over a guy like Lonzo Ball, and he was the most impressive player in the Pac-12 and on the West Coast. And you just watch him, and you could he was a gamer. He was a gamer. He just had kind of that instinct. He had a killer instinct about him. And he came up in clutch moments and performed and obviously went in the second round, and he's been a starter for the Memphis Grizzlies for a while. Obviously, he's been a bit streaky, which, you know, happens. But... There's players that, you know, in his draft class, you know, that got drafted way higher because they had a higher ceiling, um, but really low floor. And they're who knows where they are anymore. Um, So I value college performance a lot when it comes to draft picks, uh, probably more than NBA execs, because I think NBA execs are kind of at this point where they're trying to draft the next Giannis, you know, a guy who is young and moldable and you know in a couple years could be an mvp level player but a lot of teams just they they get this idea and they draft that guy but they're just not patient enough with them you know imagine if the bucks weren't patient with Giannis. imagine they're like oh it's been like three years and he really hasn't you know gotten awesome to a to a huge talent you know then Giannis. You know, probably maybe the best player in the league, arguably, doesn't he's just not there. And I think I think baseball does it right because they have obviously the farm system, you know, guys can go down there and develop until they're ready. Um and I'm curious to see if teams start to kinda do that with the G League, 
Um, because I think the G League is obviously a lot. I feel like a couple of years ago it was just was not as big, but with you know players choosing to go to the G League instead of college, um, yeah, kind of like more roster flexibility with a two way player type of thing. I'm curious to see if that's actually kind of becomes more of a thing. Um, but obviously, I like what the Kings did. Right, they picked Halliburton who performed pretty well in college. They picked Mitchell, who did pretty well in college. Um, and so they might not be the highest ceiling players in the world, but they're good value at where they were drafting. And they definitely have proof that they can perform at a higher level. Um, yeah. I mean, the Kings have been doing good with drafting recently. But uh, yeah, I also want to touch on Chris Duarte, who, as you mentioned, he was not a pick liked by fans, but he was extremely popular among NBA executives. He went 13th overall to the Pacers, and I just want to add, he is the first lottery pick drafted in the NBA draft you know, from Oregon since uh, Luke Jackson in 2004, who was 10th overall from yeah. Oregon. So, yeah. Well, I love Chris Duarte. Obviously, I'm an Oregon Ducks basketball fan, Oregon Ducks football fan. So I'm a little bit biased, but he won. He was the best shooting guard in college basketball last year. And nobody's going to deny that. He's really good offensively. You know, he can create his own shot. He's a good three-point shooter. He's a good defender. He can finish around the hoop. He has everything you need. And obviously he is 24. That's probably his biggest drawback is the fact that he's 24. And... That that shouldn't be that big of an issue because he's ready to play now. He's ready to play now. And that's why he was so popular among the NBA execs is because he is kind of that guy that can you can just slot in right now and he's going to perform. Um, is his ceiling super high? Maybe, maybe not. Here's the thing, right? He played two years at Oregon. And he, from his first year, he was good. His second year, he was great. And so I feel like he actually can still grow from where he's at. I don't think he's necessarily one of those older guys that's kind of reached basically most of their potential. I think he's one of those guys that has the ability to gain even more potential because he doesn't have the same and normal basketball path as a lot of people that go that highly in the draft have. Um, and obviously fans don't like how old he is, and they wanted a guy like Moses Moody, who I like. But... If you're the Pacers, you like a guy like Chris Duarte. And if you're a fan, you should come around to it because he is going to be good. And, you know, I will fall on that sword if he's not, but I just do not believe that he will not be good. That's just that's just what I think. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that overall Duarte is going to be – a great player, but maybe he doesn't have as high of a ceiling as other guys since he's already 24 coming into the NBA. And I think that he's kind of like Peyton Pritchard in a way because obviously he's a he's a guard from Oregon. But what I mean is Peyton Pritchard's 23 years old. He came into the NBA already, or you know, draft. You know, came into the NBA draft, came into the NBA already being 22. And when you're already like that developed or you know, that old coming into the draft, you have a very different route than some of these other guys that are just one and dones in college that are first round picks. So I think that Pritchard 
will be a good role player or a good backup point guard too, but he's kind of like Duarte because we don't really know how high his ceiling is, but I think that they're both going to be good talents. Yeah, um, you talked about Pritchard. Pritchard's ceiling is a lot lower than Duarte's just because he had a size disadvantage. You know, he kind of has an athletic ability disadvantage, you know, but he's a great player. And I remember people were not super happy about the pick last year of Peyton Pritchard. And he turned out to be a very good contributable, like a guy that can actually contribute. Um, I think people need to realize, you know, that it's not a bad thing to draft that guy. Because think about it. The Pacers... Pacers have some decent talent on their team. Obviously, they could trade some of it. Obviously, they couldn't. But they're kind of a borderline uh, playoff team. And so picking a guy that could turn out to be, you know, a decent player, but could also become a bust, you know, that that doesn't really strike them as a good move. And, like, there was a lot of talk about the Knicks trading up to get a guy like Chris Duarte because that's kind of – that's how people saw him. It's like this is a guy who can pick, and day one he's going to contribute. And that's kind of what – you see that a lot with rookies that are drafted a little bit later is they're day one uh, guys that contribute. And they might not ever really reach all-star potential, but they're there to help a team win. And Chris Duarte does that. Right. And also, we can talk about, now we can move on and talk about um, Moses Moody. So I think that Moses Moody is a pretty good pick. And I think he's going to fit in pretty well with the Warriors, but they might trade him too. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see what they do. Because they got, they got two. Ooh, top 14 picks, you know, right. and one of them raw Moses Moody's kind of raw, but he has a good jump shot. He could play some good defense. He needs to be more consistent with the jump shot. He could improve in places on defense, but here's the thing is he, he's kind of like Chris Duarte, but way less polished. Um, and so I like him as a player. Uh, I don't know how high his ceiling is, but I feel like he's going to be a guy that 10 years down the line, he's still in the league. He's going to be kind of, I could see him being kind of a Rip Hamilton type. And that's right. kind of high lofty praise. And that's obviously yeah, Rip Hamilton was really good. Yeah. Yeah. But I could see him being that kind of level of player. Obviously he might not meet that. He might exceed that, but that's kind of, that's kind of how I see him, you know, is just kind of a guy who's going to be a very valuable asset to whatever team he's on. He's not going to be the best player on that team. He's not going to be a mediocre player, but he's going to be a starter and he's going to do well on both sides of the ball. Okay, now we can touch on, well, we're already talking about the Warriors. We can touch on how the Warriors, they have trade bait, you know, as you mentioned and as we talked about just now, um, where it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to do with these guys. Because, you know, you have to take into consideration that they had two lottery picks this year. They had Wiseman drafted last year in 2020 with the second overall pick. And they had, you know, they obviously they drafted Jonathan uh, Kuminga with the seventh overall pick and, and Moses Moody with the 14th. And they could either trade one of these new draftees and Andrew Wiggins or maybe Ubre for a guy like Bradley Beal, or maybe they could just trade him for some other, you know, good center, but it's going to be interesting to see what the um what the Warriors do for sure. 
yeah, I think Bradley Beal is probably the most likely person they're going to trade for. You know, uh, before offseason, I could have been, I was thinking, oh, maybe Zach Levine because he would have been less value. But obviously, it looks like the Bulls are trying to actually compete win. So I think Bradley Beal is probably the best bet if they're going to trade for a star, which I think they're going to do. Yeah, I think that that would be a good move for the Warriors to get Bradley Beal. I mean, imagine Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Beal on the same team. But honestly, we don't even know how Thompson's going to perform when he comes back because he's been away from basketball for two years after those injuries. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But before we go on to the next topic, Jeremy, I want to touch on some other NBA trades real quick. So obviously, we talked about the Lakers need shooters, and I'm interested to see how they perform. But the Blazers, man, what are they doing? They signed Cody Zeller. Obviously, he's a better defender than Cancer. They signed Ben McLemore and Tony Snell. Okay, Ben McLemore, he, he's a sharpshooter. He can shoot threes. He's a pretty good player. Tony Snell, he's a role player. Don't know if he's going to get a ton of minutes, but we probably signed him for the minimum. And we signed Cody Zeller. So I wasn't super high on the Zeller, uh, you know, the Zeller move at first, but obviously he's better better defender than um, Cancer. And the Blazers also re-signed Norman Powell to a five-year, $90 million deal. But the Blazers need to be more aggressive, and, and Neil Shea needs to – his head out of the gutter, and he needs to trade for a guy like Siakam or Sabonis or Carl Anthony Towns or Paul George because the Blazers need defense. They don't need role players right now. And obviously the Blazers let go Carmelo too, but I just want to say the Blazers are yet to trade CJ McCollum and Nurkic when they could be getting a guy like Paul George, DeMontis Sabonis, Carl Anthony Towns, Miles Turner, or even Siakam or Ben Simmons. So what do you think about that? Well, here's the thing about the Blazers is the Blazers are at a kind of a point they either need to go all in and try to win a championship, which I don't necessarily think that they really could win a championship because I don't know what you know value their movable pieces have. Or they just need to kind of sell everything off and kind of rebuild. Um, that's kind of... Some teams, I think, are better about that than others, that they kind of like, okay, you know, one last run or, you know, we're not going to make it anywhere. You know, let's kind of just reset. Um, but they need to trade CJ. They've needed to trade CJ, you know. The the comparison, they're kind of like the Rockies. I just feel like they're not quite as badly run as the Rockies. You know, obviously I'm making kind of a MLB to NBA kind of Trump, yeah. comparison. But they 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 need to not settle for mediocrity like they have been. And obviously, you know, they made the playoffs, you know, they got a little bit kind of decently far in the playoffs one year. But at the same time, it's just like every year they just make the playoffs. And it seems like, you know, the fans, you know, until this year, haven't really put that much pressure on them because, you know, they make it to the second round and people are like, okay, cool. Um, It's I don't know. I feel like the fans have not put enough pressure over the course of these past couple of years. And so now they're putting a bunch of pressure. Um, yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I think that obviously Damian Lillard is 31 years old and he has about four really good years left, three or four really good years left. And this is a, he's in his prime right now. Um, and so I think that the Blazers need to, like you said, obviously trade C.J. McCollum, but I wouldn't mind trading Nurkic too. You know, if the Blazers trade C.J. McCollum for Sabonis and maybe some other good role player in a three-team trade that would be insane you know the Blazers need to improve their defense and if we're just going to get a new coach like Billups 
if you just get a new coach, it's not going to solve all your problems. You got to trade players too. And obviously, Neil Olshay is very reluctant and doesn't really want to trade CJ. But you're going to have to make some moves happen because Lillard publicly said in an interview, you know, obviously we're not a championship team. We're in the middle of the pack. You know, we need to make changes. And Olshay hasn't really done much. He's just signed some role players and re-signed Powell. But the next move the Blazers need to do, obviously, is trade McCollum. Um, Trey McCollum and Nurkic for Sabonis, Paul George, maybe even Siakam or Simmons. Uh, so we'll see what they do, but they need better defense. And also, Dame might leave and request a trade if we don't make anything happen because this is these are the best years of his career. Yeah, they they just need to trade basically whoever was on the team the past couple of years that they can get value from. Um, those are going to be your CJs. That's going to be Nurkic. Yep. I mean, I mean, Collins is already gone. Um, that but, that yeah. that is huge. That Collins is gone. He was a waste bro, of a roster spot. Bro, I know. Okay, let's touch on that real quick. So obviously, we talked about Lillard and CJ and the Blazers enough, but yeah, we'll see what the Blazers do. But I think Olshay needs to trade CJ to make something happen so that Lillard doesn't leave because we need to improve our defense, you know. But um, the Blazers need to improve the defense. So obviously, <laughs> the Spurs, man, the Spurs. What are you doing? Okay. Okay, Jeremy, I don't know if you heard this one yet, but the Spurs recently signed the injury-prone, broken glass, you know, broken leg, the glass man himself, Zach Collins, to a three-year, $22 million deal. And I'm calling him the glass man because as a Blazers fan, it's not fun to see uh, one of your youngest, talented, you know, promising guys. He's been in the league since 2017, and he's played like less than a year and a half for the Blazers. And that's just, it sucks to watch. So I'm glad Collins is finally gone. Because it's just terrible that we kept him for that long. Four seasons and he barely played, you know? Yeah, it's it's tough. It's a business. Um, and right. he just was not adding any value to the team. He was on the roster to sit on the bench because he was always hurt. And obviously the Spurs took a chance on him. Honestly, that's a that's like a very small contract for the Spurs. Right. It's not like you know, because if he can stay healthy, it's not like he's some horrible player. Like, that's good value for uh, if he's healthy. Obviously, who knows if he's going to be healthy. And Blazer fans, I'm telling you right now, if he ends up doing well in San Antonio and kind of stays out of injury, it's a little upsetting. But at the same time, you can't be that upset because guess what? He did you, you gave, gave him, four years. Yeah, you gave him opportunity. You gave him opportunity. He just didn't prove himself. Now, he's like injured all the time. Yeah, it's like, you know, don't don't be mad about it. Like, it's yeah. uh, it would suck. I don't see it happening necessarily, but at the same time, you have to move on sometimes from players, you know. And yeah. if they're successful somewhere else, that's people fine. Are, might be like, oh, you let him go, you let him go. But at the same time. You can't just keep a guy around like that. Yeah, and I completely agree. You can't. Hope. You can't keep him like. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but also, you know, obviously, three-year, twenty-two million-dollar deal for Collins. But I just wanted to put that out there that, as I mentioned off the top of my head, Collins has played less than two seasons with the Blazers, which is less than half of how long he's been around for. Is you know, drafted tenth overall pick in twenty seventeen, and. You know, he's played 154 games, 82 games in a season. That's literally less than two seasons, which is embarrassing. Less than half of his career he's played. So he's been injured a lot. Obviously, he had a, you know, ankle injury. He had a shoulder injury, some surgeries. But it's just unfortunate that he's injured. But, you know, uh, he's finally gone. But we, we needed to let him go. 
Anyways, also, Jeremy, the Spurs signed Doug McDermott to a three-year, $42 million deal. What are the Spurs doing? I'm very confused uh, by the Spurs. Um, Pop Popovich is kind of, I think he's going, kind of showing his downhill. true colors. Yeah, that he's not necessarily downhill. that good of a coach. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, always... in, his prime, in his prime, he's a great coach, but but he's like so old now that he might retire in a year or two, and I think that his glory days are behind him, and he's not a super high-level coach anymore, you know? Yeah, I also think NBA coaches just are not as good of coaches as other levels because they have a lot less that they're kind of needing to do because the NBA is much less basketball-oriented than other basketball leagues. It's a lot more entertainment uh, value as a league, you know, there's a lot of different rules that are way different, you know, so there's a lot less strategy involved. And it's more so if I have really good players, I just need to make sure that they play well together and then I can kind of fit them together um, instead of kind of building a team of, you know, guys that you can get, you know, at like a college level and, you know, having kind of a philosophy and, you know, kind of being strategic and using players to their best ability. Like there's not zone defense in the NBA, you know? And so you kind of get, you get man on man, you, it's a big court, you know, there's a lot of ISO ball and that doesn't really take much coaching, you know, because you have the best players in the world that know that they're good. And, you know, you kind of just got to let them run free and do their thing. Um, so, Pop is a good NBA coach. As a basketball coach in general, I don't necessarily know if he's that amazing. Yeah, I mean, obviously he won multiple championships uh, as that coach of the Spurs, but but now I think he's kind of losing his touch where he's like, how old is he, like 60-something now? And I think that obviously the Spurs also let go, to pa- let go of Patty Mills, one of the best veteran point guards. That's a bad move too because I don't know why they would, you know, obviously let go, let go of DeRozan too. DeRozan wanted to leave. He was with the Spurs for three years. But Patty Mills is one of their best veteran point guards, and he signed a two-year, $12 million deal with the um, Nets. And I'm just confused about the Zach Collins and the Doug McDermott deals, but you know, we'll see what the, how the Spurs do. But one other thing I want to say before we get on to the next topic, Jeremy, last thing is Steph Curry signs a four-year, $215 million extension. Obviously, you got the Trey Young extension, too. I think Trey Young's kind of overrated, but you know, because he's very inconsistent and he's not a really good defender. But you can touch on those real quick if you want. I mean, Steph Curry, one of the best players in the league. Like second you, best point guard of all time, in my opinion. You knew he was gonna get paid. Like, you knew yeah. they were gonna extend him. You knew he was gonna be a warrior for the rest of his career. Trey Young, right. obviously that's kind of the Hawks main guy now, and so obviously they're gonna pay him. They also pay John Collins. You know, they're going to pay those guys. Um, so no surprises there. Right. You know, pretty cut and dry, just normal. Yep. All right. Next topic, Jeremy, that we have the NFL preview. So the clear favorite is the Chiefs. They rebuilt their offensive line, got a few new pieces, and they didn't lose any important pieces because obviously they still have Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. So what do you think about the this upcoming NFL season? Because the preseason starts today. Well, yeah. Okay. The AFC is a lot better than the NFC. I'm just going to put it out there because AFC, there's top teams You've got the Browns, you've got the Bills, you've got the Chiefs. You know, I think those three teams, you know, are three of the top five, you know, when it comes to the NFL as a whole. And obviously the fifth team is a bit more 
debatable. Yeah. Um, but the Chiefs, right, made the Super Bowl last year. Obviously, they played horribly in the Super Bowl, you know. Right. Uh, obviously, I'm a bit biased. I thought the officiating was pretty bad. But at the same time, they just couldn't block. They couldn't block. They couldn't buy any time for Mahomes. You know, the receivers and were they, dropping they, the yeah. balls. It just it was just bad football. And what the Chiefs did is they restructured deals so they could rebuild the offensive line. Um, they traded their first-round pick. Got amazing value for that. They got one of the best tackles in the league, right? They got really good players on that offensive line. So they rebuilt the entire offensive line and didn't really lose any super uh, players that aren't replaceable. You know, they they still have that main core. And the fact that they won a Super Bowl the year before, they made it last year, and they got even better for the next year, it's clear why they're the favorite. And I mean, the favorite out of the NFC is probably the Buccaneers, but I don't even know if they're going to make it out this year because 49ers now are going to be healthy. And Right. I mean, they have, what, Bosa back now, right? Yeah, they're, they're going to be healthy, and I think they can compete. Obviously, the Rams, Rams, they had a good yeah, offseason. Like, uh, yeah, I think that the Rams made some big moves, and especially I'm very interested to see – um, how Stafford does because yeah. obviously Stafford it's up for debate but obviously I think that Stafford is a great QB in the wrong system because when you, when you think about a guy like Matthew Stafford he's a pretty talented QB but when you're sitting behind and you're sitting you know when you're starting QB for a franchise like Detroit like the Detroit Lions and you don't have an offensive line to protect you it's just so tough because you would just get sacked so many times like Joe Burrow man but obviously uh, the Bengals are going to be a little bit better next year uh, but but I still think they should have drafted Panea Sewell to fix their O-line problems. But I just think that overall, like, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But I think that the Niners are going to be a very good team. And uh, Stafford's going to do pretty good with the Rams, too. Yeah. And then, obviously, in the NFC, you still have the Packers. Um, and right. They they brought it down to the end with the Buccaneers. Um, and the thing about the Buccaneers is I, they didn't really add anything. Uh, right, the Packers not at all. didn't either. But I think could this be Aaron Rodgers' year to finally kind of get over the hump in the AFC, NFC? Um, that's kind of I think that's a big storyline uh, coming into the NFL season because this could be his final year with the Packers. Are the Packers yeah, going yeah. to? finally kind of get over the hump um yeah i'm interested to see what happens but obviously Devontae adams and rogers are making those instagram posts and i think it is it really is a last dance because rogers didn't even want to play for um the packers this season but after that terrible play calling and some some bad bad decisions by the coaching staff but uh obviously i think that it could be the last run for Rodgers, and we'll see where he goes, but he could go to either the Niners, the Bears. Uh, I'm very, very excited to see where Rodgers goes and see if the Packers make it far, but they could do it this year. Who knows? Maybe he'll go to Jeopardy. Now, <laughs> Yeah, right. time for the final topic, college football, my baby, my sport. All right. It's about to start. It's coming up in like a month. Yeah, or I'm excited. Yep. So, obviously, there's some bigger storylines. Um, 
Big Ten is going to be kind of, that's where I'm most interested in. You know, I feel like other conferences are a little bit more, we kind of know what's going to happen. But the Big Ten, you know, they had a shortened season last year. And, you know, I feel like there's a little bit more uncertainty when it comes to the Big Ten and their teams versus the other conferences. Like, Penn State kind of had a bad 2020. Obviously, it was a shortened season. And, you know, I'm not going to take too much into account when it comes to 2020 for, like, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten because they didn't really have, like, a full season uh, like the SEC kind of did. But Penn State didn't necessarily have the best season. And I think coming into this year, I think they're going to bounce back. You know, you look at kind of their body of work over the past couple of years prior to 2020, and you know they they were they were team they were a top 10 team pretty much every year, and they've been recruiting well as well. Um, and so I think I think they're just going to bounce back. I think they're going to come back and be back to what they were uh, prior to 2020. Um, I think they're going to start lower ranked to start the season because of. 2020 but i think by the end of the year they're not going to be i don't think they're a playoff team uh i think they could potentially be a rose bowl team i think the rose bowl is going to be normal this year but like that's kind of how i see them and then obviously ohio state ohio state lost their quarterback lost their running back and you know what they lost a couple pieces on the defensive side and the question will be, can they reload? I think they will reload. And I think they always reload. But the interesting thing about this is, week two, they've got Oregon coming to the horseshoe. They got Oregon in the shoe. And I think that's going to be a huge test you know, for them. Because obviously, week one, you know, we'll see where they're at. But that's a big-time team to have come in and play week two when you kind of lost your offensive leader, when you've kind of lost a couple of big players. And so I think that's a pivotal, pivotal game to see kind of where those new guys are at. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously Ohio state, you know, they just got a few new big recruits, but you know, Oregon was supposed to play, Oregon was supposed to play Ohio State originally in 2020, and then obviously COVID hit. So, so I think that Oregon is really promising this year in their top eight team in the preseason ranks, and I think that they're definitely going to go back to back and win the Pac-12 again. But uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think Ohio State by the end of the year is going to be fine, but to play a team like Oregon, who is the clear favorite in the Pac-12, who has right. the most talent in the Pac-12, um, week two. It's going to be interesting. Um, obviously, I think Definitely. a lot of people are like, oh, Ohio State's so good. Yeah, I mean, they're okay, Oregon. right? Yeah. They're all right, yeah. Um, could I see Ohio State winning? Definitely. Could I see Oregon winning? Definitely. I think that's. I think it's more of a toss-up than people think. think. Yeah. I mean, Ohio State, they're okay, but I do see – Definitely, definitely Oregon repeating for the Pac-12. I mean, Anthony Brown is a beast. They have a good receiving core. Their defense is good. I mean, Justin Flo is a beast. The Ducks are just stacked right now, but obviously their recruiting is going way up, you know, and we're and they're doing really good. But we'll see how, how Ohio State uh, does. It's going to be a big challenge for them to play Oregon. Exactly. You know, 
like I said earlier, you know, I wanted to touch on the Big Ten because, you know, the Pac-12 is basically Oregon and everybody else. The ACC is kind of Clemson, maybe a little bit of North Carolina, you know, but it's pretty set in stone that Clemson is the best team. The SEC, Alabama is always kind of the top team. Uh, Auburn's obviously replacing their coach, so I don't necessarily see them at that top tier. You know, LSU had a bad 2020. We'll see how they reload, but I don't necessarily think they're even close to the talent Alabama has. Alabama's always stacked. Yeah, and then you got Florida. I think Florida's a little bit behind, and then you got Georgia. So I think it's Alabama, Georgia, and the SEC. I think it's Clemson and North Carolina and the ACC. I think in the Big Ten, you've got Penn State, Ohio State. We'll see what Michigan does. You know, I don't have a lot of confidence in Michigan because they they tend to just not deliver when it counts. They can't beat Ohio State. Um, and, you know, they tend to have those 10 and 2 seasons and they just cannot get over the hump. So we'll see what Michigan does. Um, Indiana, they had a pretty good 2020. And we'll see if that was kind of just a fluke or what. You know, in the Big 12, it's Oklahoma. Then you got Texas and Iowa State. Is Iowa State, is that a fluke? Um, Is Sarkeesian going to bring Texas back? You know, Texas has the talent to compete in the Big 12. They have the talent to be a playoff team, just like Oregon, just like Ohio State, just like Alabama. You know, those teams have the talent to compete at the highest level. But the question is, are, are they going to? And so I think this is going to be an interesting year for college football because you have Ohio State kind of has to reload. Alabama kind of has to reload. You know, Oklahoma's kind of a veteran group now. You know, Clemson's reloading a bit too. So I think what you're having is a lot of the top teams that have always kind of competed ahead of everybody. They're reloading. And then you've got teams that are kind of in the middle of the pack you know, that always kind of compete for those New Year's Six Bowls, those playoffs, you know. They're like not Oregon. Nece- yeah, that aren't necessarily reloading as much. And right. so I don't think there's a clear-cut national championship favorite this year. Obviously, if I had to pick one day one right now, it's probably going to be Alabama. At the yeah. same time, you know, we don't know how Bryce Young is going to be as the quarterback we don't really we don't know what to expect from a lot of these teams because they got new guys starting a quarterback lots of young talent yeah so this is going to be an interesting year for sure for college football and i'm excited i'm really excited yeah so that's going to wrap up second week second episode of the podcast uh we hope you all enjoyed we'll be back next week most likely It was a bit of a longer episode today because we had a lot of stuff we had to cover. Um, Don't really know what we're going to cover next week. Probably a little bit more NBA stuff because it could be some more deals, could be some big trades. Um, We'll see a little bit more of how the NFL is shaping up. We might talk a little bit more about that. We'll probably talk a little bit more about college football. Um, Probably touch on the MLB as well. Kind of see, you know, what kind of happened because by next week, we're a little bit, we're one week closer to the playoffs for the MLB. So uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, don't really know what day or time next week, but we will be back. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast, the Next Man Up podcast. Uh, 
please download uh, <laughs> and leave reviews on Apple Music and Spotify. Um, thanks again. This is Jeremy. Yeah, thanks again for tuning in. Catch us next week. Uh, I'm Jack MacArthur alongside Jeremy. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys later. Yep. Peace, everybody.